podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't, don't be upset by a northern bloke. Ronaldo, he looked at me, smiled, he never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you boys are get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic teenagers who interview some of the biggest names within the world of sport. From world champions, World Cup winners, international athletes, Ryder Cup golfers, Ashes heroes, and many other sportsmen and women, we delve deep into their sporting career, the highs and the lows, and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. But that's enough for me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, Tom and Avtar, who host the podcast, and I'll let them introduce today's guest. See you later. Tanowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults. And we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sports and men and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is an England cricketing great. He played in 50 tests for England, taking 167 wickets and winning the Ashes twice. Welcome to the podcast. Monty Panasar. Thank you, guys. Thank you for, um, uh, you know, uh, having me on your podcast. Absolute honour. Thank you so much. No problem. We like to start our podcast with some quick fire questions. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm ready for this. <clears throat> best, friend, best friend in cricket. Oh, good question. Probably Andrew Flintoff. Um. Best player you have playing with you? Oh, that's got to be uh, Kevin Peterson uh, and Jimmy Anderson. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Um, Piers Morgan? <laughs> Gary Lineker? No. Well, Gary Lineker's got a higher following on Twitter. So <laughs> how, how are you going to assess who's famous? One with the highest, the biggest following? I'd say that. I'd say yeah. that. No, yeah, I think Gary Lineker's got a bigger following than Pierce Morgan. So, yeah, I'd say Gary Lineker now. Uh, if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, really good question. Um, I would like to sit down with, um, gosh, very good question. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Yes, I'm a big fan nice. of his. I would absolutely love to, to, to have a gym session in the morning, mm. get up at 5 a.m. like he does, and then um, spend a day of what is it like being with The Rock mm. and uh, how hard he works. Who were, who were your sporting heroes growing up and how did you get into cricket in the first place? Yeah, like my dad used to play cricket um, at Luton Town, uh, actually Luton Tack College, and I used to be a scorer as a 10-year-old. And then I joined Luton Town in Indians, which my dad's best, one of my dad's best friends used to run the youth section called Hitu Nayak. And um, I just played, you know, cricket there. And uh, as a 10-year-old, I was like, my dad only used to send me to cricket because I was quite podgy as a young little kid. I, I put on, you know, 10-year-old, 
I uh, love my Indian food and, you know, put on a bit of weight. So my dad goes, look, Sunday mornings, do a bit of running and <laughs> lose some weight. And through that, I just fell in love with the game of cricket. Um, and the club, Luton Town and Indians, wanted one player from the club to make it to the to the top. And, um, you know, somehow I managed to play for England. Uh, what are you memories of playing cricket as a teenager? I remember when I played my first game and um, I, I was a seam bowler and I took some wickets and I hit some runs. Um, that was really, that was a lot of fun. Um, I also remember um, when, when, I, when Paul Taylor said to me at Sandy Upper College when I was a 15-year-old, I was trying to bowl quick. I wanted to be like Wazim Akram, to be honest, and I never fulfilled that ambition. Um, and then he said to me, why don't you try spin? You've got really long fingers. And I spun the ball. First ball, it just turned and bounced indoor nets. And um, I spoke to Hitu Nike at the time, and he goes, bowl spin the next game at Worcestershire and see how you go. I took seven for 35. Um, <laughs> and and I, I never looked back. I, 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 that was the best piece of advice uh, Paul Taylor ever gave me. Um, so uh, he's always my messiah. Whenever I see him, I always say to him, thank you so much for that one piece of advice. It completely changed my life. That's okay. Hawkins. You signed for Northamptonshire in 2001. What was that like to become a professional cricketer? Uh, it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. For me, it was like a dream come true, wearing the track suits, training every day uh, as a profession, training with the first team, you know, uh, and, and just everything about it. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I just so, you know, I just, I just wanted to quickly play for England. That's all it was. There was nothing else in my mind. And um, I was very lucky to have Nick Cook, who's my second team coach there. Bob Carter was my coach as well. Um, and he was a left-arm spinner, Nick Cook, and learned a lot from him. So I really enjoyed, you know, being there. You know, there was Tony Pemberthy, who was a really good, you know, um, became a good friend. David Ripley, who was the wicket-keeping there and is a coach now, was good. I played with Graham Swan. Me and him, we both played together. Had lots of fun. He was a good player. Mike Hussey was the overseas player then. I think Matthew Hayden was in it as well. And then, um, you know, we had Usman Afzal, senior player. So there was lots of players there, which I really enjoyed. And some of the age group friends, you know, Jamie Wade, Rob White, Mark Powell, David Wigley. Gosh, you know, the list just keeps going on and on. So, yeah, I had, you know, I really enjoyed my time there. And, um, and David Capel was there as well. Brilliant, unfortunately, he's, you know, you know, wasn't with us, but uh, it's just a great environment and a setup. You know, David Sells was a great guy. Jason Brown, got to so many great players. Mal Loy, he's a Derbyshire coach now. Uh, Adrian Rollins, you know, he was a big, big guy. Left, you know, player. There's some Lance Klusner was there. Gerard Brophy, you know, uh, Johan Lowe. So there's a lot, a lot of great, you know, uh, people there, and I really enjoyed, really enjoyed my time. I just want to jump in, Monty, if that's okay. So you mentioned Matthew Hayden. And the reason I ask is because we're, we're interviewing Matthew Hayden next week. Um, any stories about Matthew that we could, we could share? Yeah, I, look, I'll be honest with you. Matthew Hayden, right, used to, he used to, like, he used to, he used to practice playing the sweep shot. I used to bowl to him a lot. He was, he was okay at playing the sweep shot. He wasn't that great. But he used to practice against me playing the sweep shot, playing the sweep shot. And then um, he went away to India, I think, 
and he really, you know, he went to India. He's one of the first Australian cryptos who went overseas to practice his game. He went there and he just practiced, determined to get better at playing against spin. And then when he came back, he was absolutely just sweeping every ball so well. It was unbelievable. And I used to be so impressed by him, everything. He used to train really hard. He was a good fitness trainer. He was unbelievably flexible. You know, he was unbelievably flexible. Um, he was supremely like big muscles, you know, strong fitness. And he was just so driven, so motivated. So that was, I was so lucky. I saw it. I saw him. I, saw, I just saw it in my own eyes. Like, wow, this is how you have to train to become a first team professional cricketer. an overseas cricketer. And I was so inspired, just everything about him, you know. And, and that was so good in early on in my year, you know, that first sort of year where I could see him just how he trained, how he went about his cricket, that I actually started to, uh, you know, bring that in my game. You know, I thought gym training was important, flexibility, you know, um, that doing some running track and all of that. So, you know, that was a huge, he was a huge inspiration to me. During your our research, you found, we found out that your real name isn't, Monty. So how do you, the name Monty, come about? Yeah, so that's a great question. My real name is Madhusudan. Um, and uh, it's, not, it's not a very common Sikh name either, mm. you know. Um, so when people, even the people in the Sikh community ask me, Madhusudan, like, you know, who, who, you know, who named you that? I said, obviously, my parents. And um, it was actually my auntie, my mom's sister. Mm-hmm. who said, well, you know, you can call him Monty. And uh, so when I when I played my first game, Bedford under 15s, they asked me, do you have a nickname? The coach, I said Monty. And they said, oh, that let's call you Monty, you know. And since then, that was it. Everyone called me Monty Panasa. Wow. That's a good That's um, all right. story. For there was you. a lot, lot of pets named after me when I made my debut for England. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of, there was a lot of pets. Uh, unfortunately, so there's there's a, there's a lot of Monty pets, you know, around <laughs> England now. Um, you made your England debut in 2006 against India. What are your memories of that? Oh, that was I, I was absolutely. I, I actually, when I first went, you know, on on the plane, um, I remember when I when I went from a first training session at Loughborough, and there was these big, gigantic guys, you know, like. <laughs> Simon Jones, uh, you know, Steve Harmison. And then, you know, I saw Andrew Flintoff and he would wear his blue socks, you know, Man City socks. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, sporting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, doing training and these big guys. And then I see the likes of Treskothic, Michael Vaughan, and then Ashley Giles, Kevin Peterson. And then I'll just stroll up with all of them. I felt like, you know, gosh, you know, do I, do I even belong here or what should I do? <laughs> And then I, you know, just bowled and trained with them. Didn't see anything. I was just that they were the oh, 2005, the big heroes. And then oh. I went to the, you know, then I remember going to the, you know, uh, trip, you know, to India. Mm. And I just, I trained as hard as I could. That's all I wanted to do. I thought to myself, gain as much experience as I can through training, help the team out, and um, and I just loved the whole experience. You know, every when there's, I remember when we was training at one time. Um, some of the Indian cricketers just went for, you know, around a lap. There'll be 30,000 people in the stadium just to come and watch the Indian team train. Mm. 
And I was never used to that. I remember training at North Ants. There'll be just a couple, there'll be a, a few, a few people and, 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 and their dog maybe. And that's it. Four or five people watching us train, you know, at Northlands. And suddenly there's 30,000 people in the stadium. This is not even a game. This is like just normal training, you know. Mm. And um, this sort of stuff, you know, with the Indian team happens. Like if you're, if you go to Barcelona or if you go to some of the, you know, big football teams, you know, um, you know, like that, and 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 that's where you will see a lot of people come and train. So, so um, that was a massive experience for me. And then I remember the night before, you know, when Andrew Flintoff named the team, I was the last person at the at the bottom where he said, "Oh, and Monty Panasar." And I thought to myself, "All right, okay, I'm 12th man then for this test match. I'll just help out with the drinks." And he tapped on my shoulder. He goes, "I said to him, am I, am I 12th man?'" And he goes, "He goes, no, mate, you're playing tomorrow." And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm playing tomorrow. Like, how am I going to bowl to the likes of Goni, Tunduka, Saywag, um, Kev, um, you know, Dravid? Like, these were, like, great cricketers of the time. I was like, is he sure about this? Like, do you, are you <laughs> sure you want me to play tomorrow? Like, I don't think, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to cope. And then I went in my room and I quickly wrote down all the, you know, um, field settings. And I went to Andrew Flintoff and, and they were playing like FIFA, him and Steve Harmison and all the other guys, just nice and relaxed. And I was like, wow, these guys are like this. You know, these guys, they, they just turn it on when they're on the field, but they're so relaxed off it, you know. And this is what great sportsmen do, you know, like uh, like a light switch, right? Switch on and switch off. And I could see like why these guys were such, you know, match winners for England, you know. And there was a big eye opener before I played my first game. So then I play, got my got the ball and I you know started bowling, and uh, I gave all my game plans. Andrew, you know, set all the field, and then he bowled that ball to Sachin. I bowled the ball to Sachin Tendulkar, bowled a few good overs, and then it hit him on the pad, and I couldn't see any of the stumps. So I just shouted. Alim Dar just gave it out straight away, and that was it. That was the start of them celebrations, running all the way to point, absolutely going crazy, not realizing. What has happened? I don't know. But all I know is I'm loving this moment and I'm just going to enjoy it to the max. And um, and and that was through, I think, from my upbringing as well. You know, like my dad used to always say to me, he goes, whatever you do, give it your 100 percent, but also enjoy 100 percent. You know, if you when you reach your goal, celebrate it, you know, to the max. If you get an A grade, go out and celebrate it with your friends. If you take a wicket, celebrate. That was embedded in me, you know, from a young age. So I just went and I just celebrated and I loved every minute of it. And then afterwards, Sachin, after the end of the game, the physio came up because you want Sachin to sign the ball. I, I go, yeah, yeah, please do. He goes, once in a blue moon, mate, never again. <laughs> and then he signed it. And then somehow I got him out at Lord's. You know, it just probably didn't skid on. And then I, it got him to sign the ball. And he goes, the blue moon comes more often than I thought. And then he signed that ball. So, yeah, that was a, a, a treasure then moments, you know, because Sachin Tendulkar is probably the greatest sportsman ever, you know, ever. If you look at it in terms of other sportsmen out there, he's probably the greatest and, and an inspiration to billion people, you know, in the 1990s where, you know, India was a developing country, let's be honest, and it was needed a hero, someone to look up to to think we can become successful in business, in other areas of life. Um, and, and he lifted a whole nation. 
And I don't think there's a sportsman out there. You know, we've got the likes of, you know, other greats, Roger Federer, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, even Christian Ronaldo. But Sachin Tendulkar lifted one over 1 billion people's dreams and hopes. He carried that on his shoulders. I don't think there's another sportsman will ever exist like Sachin Tendulkar. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not a bad first wicket then? <laughs> well, I think DRS said it was going down. <laughs> when you first got into the England side, people suggest you had poor batting and fielding skills. Would you agree with this? And how did you improve? Yeah, I do agree. My fielding wasn't good and my batting wasn't good. And I remember when I played, you know, at university, I played at Loughborough University and I played also for British University. Graham Fowler said to me, he goes, what it is, the reason you're good at bowling is because you're, you know, you're throwing the ball away. You know, you're always, you know, the ball is going you know, away from you while fielding the ball is coming at you, batting the ball's coming at you. And you don't get you don't get enough training to do that. And he, and he goes, you maybe need to do a lot more training where the ball keeps coming at you. I wasn't a great fielder. I couldn't just, I was terrible because I, I, I never trained. I used to bowl all day, go down to my leg, bowl all day in a game. And then bat at 10 or 11 because everyone else needs to get but get given a go in a match. So for me, it was just, you know, that I, I wish maybe I, I I changed my training. I could have been better at it. But, you know, um, I tried my best as many times as I could with fielding, batting. Um, and uh, all I can say, I, I tried my best. Hmm. Well, Monty, your, your batting was good enough in the Ashes at Cardiff with you and Jimmy. I remember I was at that game and you and Jimmy batted it out and was it, we drew the test? Yeah, we drew the test match and uh, it was, a you know, uh, that was something none of us expected, you know. And I remember my batting buddy at the time, because at the time Andy Flower just introduced like batting buddies. We, we had a discussion in team meetings about why, you know, why aren't there more runs coming from the lower order? So then... Uh, my batting buddy was Paul Collingwood. So he said, he remember telling me, when the ball is straight, protect the stumps. If it's short and wide, just drop the hands and make sure your back, li- back, your back lift is really short because when it's quick, you know, you don't have time to adjust. So that w- that's all I was thinking when I was out there. I said, well, my batting buddy has given me these instructions. Let me follow them through and let's see what happens. <laughs> and we somehow made the miracles. Miracles do happen. I, I never believed in them. You know, until Cardiff Test match, so that was a great miracle, a lucky escape. And uh, after that, yeah, we we ended up winning, winning the winning the Ashes, which was a which was a great feeling. Wow, uh, you and Steve Harmson took nine, 19 wickets at Old Trafford against Pakistan in two thousand six. That must very being a great game for you. Um, yeah, that was a brilliant game. And um, I loved bowling with Steve Harmison because sometimes what ends up happening is that when you have a fast bowler from one end, then the, the batsman from the other end will think, well, let, let's, you know, let's get a few runs against a spinner. And then that helped me to get wickets. So I, I love bowling, you know, again with Steve Harmison because it was a great combination. You know, his fast bowling and my spin, you know, worked really, really well together. Uh, in that series, you also got Isamam Ulhaq out when he overbalanced and dislodged the bales with his stomach. Was that the strangest wicket you ever took? I must admit, that was the strangest ever. 
And um, it was just, we were all kind of laughed, but even I think Imza mum found it quite funny, which was, you know, uh, a little bit, I, I don't know how, how, how we managed to do that, <laughs> but it was, it was a very funny moment. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, it, it's one of them ones where you don't really think of getting a wicket, but it just happened. So we've got some really exciting news for the TWS Sports Podcast. We've been shortlisted for a Sports Podcast Award, which is absolutely incredible opportunity for the podcast. So the Sports Podcast Awards are recognised globally. So if you have a sports podcast, you can enter, and there are hundreds of thousands of sports podcasts around the world. And over Christmas, the judges shortlisted us to the final eight. So we are in the best equality and social impact category, we're up against some great podcasts from the BBC. There's one about the Olympics and there's lots of other fantastic podcasts. And it's down to the public to vote for a winner. So we really need you to vote for us if you can. If you just go on www.sportspodcastawards.com and then look into the best equality and social impact category. And please, please, please drop TWS Sports Podcast a vote. We'd really, really appreciate it. Tom, come to you first. How do you feel being shortlisted for for such an award? Well, I'm very grateful for it. And I think it's an achievement for all of us um, to go hit that milestone, really. So, And also, uh, like already mentioned, please make sure to vote, everyone. It is it's just an incredible achievement for a small special school in, in England to be shortlisted for an award against these huge TV corporations and, and huge other podcasts such as the Olympics and the BBC. It's just incredible. So we really, really need all our listeners to vote. Please tell your friends and your families and your colleagues to vote as well. It's really simple to do. So just head to www.sportspodcastawards.com, register, search for the best equality and social impact category. It does only take one, two minutes and really, really appreciate your vote. After I come to you, what? How do you feel about being shortlisted for this award? Um, actually, um, that award we give us like um, we try everything we want. Like me, Watkins, Adam, we supported to like uh, the award um, ceremony because um, yeah, we've done. Uh, we're proud of us. Everyone, we're proud. Yeah, definitely. We are very proud. I'm very proud of you boys because it just shows how much your hard work and determination and skills have developed and how it's now been recognised by people globally, how how good the podcast that you host is. So it's down to you, you two boys and your hard work. So congratulations on your shortlisted boys. But we want to win, don't we? So please, please vote for us. And we really, really appreciate all your support. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Freddie Fintoff was a big... Influence on your career, and I see uh, you, you are we are good friends. How do he influence, influence your career? I think um, Freddie backed me, you know, he believed in me, he believed in me as an attacking spinner, and he believed me as a match winner. Where sometimes, you know, when you're a spinner, it's, it's difficult because you know, the psychology of you know, bowling on a second second in you know last day of a test match and and you need the backing of 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 a captain to think no you're going to win us the game nothing to worry about there's a lot of pressure on you 
But Freddie, you know, he he really backed me. He believed in in my ability. He believed in my, you know, that I I can you know perform, and um, that helped me a lot. That gave me gave me the belief. And and sometimes, you know, when you're when you're playing at top level, you're a little bit maybe possibly starstruck. You know, meeting these great superstars. He he just said no. When he had the ball in his hand, he has this, this killer instinct of like, I'm just going to bowl these guys out. I'm going to change the game, and you need to do the same. I want you to follow. And and I just followed that. I thought, right, I'm going to do the same thing, and 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 work really hard, and and uh, and 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 win games for England. Having um having an ambition like that uh, really helps. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, and sometimes it rubs off by seeing other people. You know, Andrew Flintoff was this enormous character on and off the field you know just bigger than life you know and uh, um and any 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 carried the whole you know expectation of of the nation from from his batting from his bowling and now he's a successful tv personality and he's brilliant you know he's loved by the nation he's, he's one of the treasures of the nation and um he's he's done he's he's, he's done absolutely you know brilliant you know, uh, since he's finished playing cricket. That's amazing. You made your Ashes debut in 2007 in Perth. What was it like to play in the Ashes, especially in Australia? Uh, it was unbelievable. You know, there's huge crowds. They, they, they like always chanting at you and, you know, putting pressure on you. And then you've got these great Australian teams. But I, I always enjoyed bowling against the best players. You know, it helped me to, you know, really focus in, work on my process. And I remember when I bowled just before lunch, Justin Langer missed it and, and I bowled him. Now, I was a great feeling, really celebrated and trying to lift the team there. And then I got my first FIFA there as well. So, um, of an, on an Ashes debut. Um, and I, I, just, I just wanted to bowl good deliveries against the best players. That was my great motivation. And get the best players out. You know, I loved getting, you know, the, the the best player. I'm always wanting to get the best player out of each team because it, it gave me obviously, you know, I felt like, you know, I was good enough to be at this level. And secondly, you know, it gives you that, you know, um, sense of satisfaction that actually, you know, you can play against the best and um enjoy your cricket. And and then also the opposition, you know, they they respect you as well, knowing that, you know, you, you you're trying to challenge, you know, uh, their team and 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 trying to get them out. Um, in that Ashes series, you lost 5-0 and Freddie Flintoff was captain. Why do you think you lost that series so heavily? I think what what should have happened was the first test match I should have played because I already played a bit of cricket. And then if I didn't do that well, then the pressure would have been then the pressure would have been less. And then maybe Ashley Giles could have played then because um, I already played some cricket throughout the summer. And if we lost that test match, then possibly, you know, Ashley Giles would have come. But um, because I think Duncan Fletcher, you know, wanted his, I think he wanted like an all-rounder to play. And especially Brisbane doesn't turn as much. Um, that kind of then, you know, I think put a lot of pressure on the team. But also, you know, the likes, we didn't have Marcus Jaskothic there. You know, Michael Vaughan wasn't, you know, there, Simon Jones. You know, couldn't make it. So, um, no, Ashley Giles. So, you know, we lost a lot of the team. And it makes it very difficult then, um, you know, psych from a psychological perspective to bring, you know, to be very competitive. 
And we saw that with Australia. When Australia, their team retired, they lost a few key players. Australia wasn't that strong for a while. You know, when Shane Warne, Glenn McGrath and Justin Langer retired. And, and that's something that Duncan Fletcher said. They said, oh, you know, a lot of pressure and owners won us, was on us. But when you lose your key players, then, you know, you're not going to be as strong, you know, as, as a side. And it was unfortunate that we lost a few key players during the Ashes, you know, and such a big series that, you know, it was just very difficult at the time. And, um, you know, Duncan was one, he was very good at having his 12 players and, and sticking to that. It was just unfortunate that we had to lose such key players during such a big series. You played with some great characters during your time with England, such as Flintoff, Hoggard, Peterson, Jimmy and more. Do you have any funny stories to tell us from your time with England? <laughs> oh, that's really good. I remember um, Matthew Hoggard would say to me at mid-on, Monty, bounce, bounce, bounce. Because when I would be, you know, in my run-up, sometimes I, 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 it wouldn't be as so rhythmical. And then he'd say, bounce, 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 you know, at mid-on. So then I'll start bouncing, you know, in my run-up to get that momentum. And then I'll start, you know, turning the ball and then, you know, it'll turn and bounce or, you know, do that. So, you know, we would have like these little, you know, fun things where we can, uh, you know, uh, help each other, you know, in, in, in the match. And, um some some other I remember a really interesting story with with Andrew Flintoff. He was bowling to Jack Callis, and uh, we said in a team meeting, you know, we need to bowl a Yorker to Jack Callis. He was at Edgebaston because he he'll get bowled. So then I said to Freddie Flintoff at mid off, um, why don't you bowl him a bouncer? And he goes, all right then. He bowled a bouncer. Then I said, all right, bowl another bouncer. He bowled another bouncer. Then I said, bowl a good length ball. He bowled another good length ball. Then I said, go on then, bowl a Yorker. Let's get him out. He bowled the Yorker and he just missed it. And then, then I said, go on, then bowled another Yorker. And he bowled the next one and he bowled his middle stump out of the ground. And I was just like, I was thinking, gosh, for him, he is that good. He probably would have got him out at his own will. But he's just sort of saying, look, you know what? This is how good of a bowler I am. I'll listen to one of the other players. They'll tell me whatever to bowl. I'll deliver the skill and um, I'll get the guy out. And it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. It was just, you know, just freak of nature, unbelievable talent. I think you should take credit for that wicket there, Monty. <laughs> well, <laughs> I always remind him and uh, you guys know, Monty, uh, I was delivering the scale. I was just listening to your instructions. <laughs> you won the 2009 Ashes in England. What are your memories of that series? Yeah, I think my memories was, um, I remember playing, you know, at Cardiff and it, I didn't bowl very well. Uh, and it was a kind of test match. And the ball didn't turn as much as I thought it would. And I was just thinking, why am I not in good rhythm? You know, my rhythm wasn't great. I couldn't, you know, get any rhythm. Couldn't get the ball to turn or bounce or anything like that. And my, my, my trajectory wasn't good. But I managed to keep things tight. I just wasn't bowling well enough. You know, I didn't get the ball to bowl. Just completely lost my rhythm. And I kind of felt like even after that test match, you know, we drew, I thought maybe this could be my last test match for a long time. And in fact, that was my last home test match while in Wales. England is the same place. But that was my last time I played. And and that was it, really. I didn't play after another home test match after that. The rest of the games I played was away um, because I just, you know, my rhythm and my form, it, you know, I just wasn't there. 
And then the following Ashes series, you travelled to Australia and beat them 3-1, which was the first time in in 24 years that England had won the Ashes in Australia. What are your memories of that series? Yeah, memories for me was, I remember Alistair Cook, he was scored just so many runs, he would not get out and he was unbelievable during that. I think he scored over 700 runs and he was just brilliant, you know, absolutely brilliant. I'll just sit in the, in the comm box uh, in, in, in where we would be and just watch him all day because I was 12 man. And, I'd, and I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable. You know, Alistair Cook is just batting brilliant, you know, and uh, and that was a huge, that was, I think that really set up the series for us to win. And I think that the real game changing was um, in Melbourne when Chris Tremlett bowled unbelievably well, a match winning spell in the first innings. And we bowled, I think, you know, Australia out under 100. And that was it. We thought, yeah, I think we were on the way to win the Ashes. And my favourite moment was um, at Sydney, when all of us sat together in a circle and we are just sitting there on Australian soil, on Sydney, Sydney cricket ground, and just sitting there thinking, gosh, you know, we've beaten the Australians. Uh, but I was, a, well, the 11 players, you know, I was a squad member. But, you know, Andy Flower was brilliant. He made even the squad members feel like, you know, you're part of the team. And he sat there and he just thought, yeah, we've beaten Australia in Australia. And um, that, was, that was one of my favourite memories. The Henshaws Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country and is here to bring you peace in mind. We've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance and we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today. Was it the best to win the Ashes in England or Australia? I've got to say Australia because it's very hard to, you know, win in, in Australia because you have the whole nation, you know, against you. The wickets are a lot flatter. You have the Kookaburra ball, which, you know, it doesn't do much. You know, if it doesn't do much in the first sort of 10, 20 overs, after that, it's very flat. So it's, 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 a, it's a, I think I would say it's much more, you know, harder, you know, to, to bowl sides out very cheaply, unless the conditions favour you, you know, green wickets, overcast conditions. But the wickets are very flat. So winning in Australia is, is a lot more satisfying. In your autobiography, you talked about your relationship with coach Duncan Fletcher. What sort of relationship did you have with him? I think Duncan Fletcher, for me, was good in a way because he was observing. He would always observe. And maybe we would train for two to three days before leading into a test match. And he wouldn't, like, I wouldn't get a chance to speak to him. But then after the third day, day the day before the test match, I'll bowl and I think, well, I'm, I think I'm doing okay. And then he'll be, he'll look, he'll be right behind me watching every ball. He, he would watch everything and he would want to see, am I making my own improvements? Am I learning myself? How, how am I working things out? I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that space to work things out for myself. And then when I, and I go out on, on the pitch and then just bowl and, and try and you know, take wickets because that worked, you know, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, he was, I, I quite enjoyed his observing style. And I remember at Lord's, he said to me, which end do you want to bowl? I said, oh, from the media stand end, but the, with the slope. 
He goes, no, I want you to bowl from the pavilion and against the slope. And the, the Sri Lanka team have a few left-handers. So you can beat the outside edge, rather the inside. And I go, oh, really? I, I didn't think of it that way. And then next thing, I know, I got two, three wickets. And then I remember going back in the dressing room and he will say, I, and that means, that means you got an A star in your exam. He's very happy there. So he, he was very happy with me that day. And, you know, as a, when someone as a coach gives you, you know, small piece of information and it really works, you, you really have so much belief in, in, in that coach. And, and uh, I really enjoyed what, you know, working with Duncan because I, I quite enjoyed the space he gave me to just work things out and not really, you know, interfere too much, you know, with my cricket. In 2015, you talked a lot about your mental health and said you were paranoid and depressed. Can you tell us your experience on what you went through? Yeah, through that time, it was very difficult. I think I fell out of love with cricket. You know, I, I, I just probably didn't enjoy the whole atmosphere of cricket, being around fans, umpires, players dressing room environment and I probably just wanted to get away and and sometimes you get to that point where you just think okay you know maybe I just need some help just to readdress that so I can fall back in love with cricket and then I just fought it myself really you know I've used a holistic approach didn't use any medication um did a lot of gym training I tried to work out things of you know when a person feels down it's because his serotonin levels you know are down how do you increase them so many different ways through conversation, watching comedy movies, you know, making yourself laugh, doing gym training, having friends around you, doing some reading, having me time, the sort of self-love you give to yourself. Yoga is really good as well. So I I remember then, you know, going to sort of Australia uh, when I played some grade cricket and the physio there said to me, look, make a list of things and let's not do the medication. Just, just whenever you feel a bit down, do one of these things and go there. And then I reconnected back to my faith, which really helped me ground things together. So for me, you know, I, I'm not you know, a very spiritual person, but I realized the most important relationship in my life is, you know, with God. You know, he's the most important person in my life first. And even my family say that, you know, you know, connect with your faith and then, you know, connect with your family, your friends and everything like that. So he's the most important person. I connect with him and then everything else, um, you know, feels great. Do you think more need more need to done to support people going uh, through mental health problems? Yeah, look, it's a very difficult thing. You know, for a sportsman, they have, they have this elite mindset where you go through the pain, mm. right? And you may have a thousand thoughts. You have the option. Shall I take this antidepressant? And I remember taking a few. And my mind went really like, you know, calm. And I thought, wow, this does really work. This is amazing. <laughs> but, then I re- <laughs> but then I remember after I was like, but I don't like, I don't have my personality is not there. I don't have any motivation, no drive to do things. And I thought, and, and I put on a bit of weight. And I spoke to my family and I go, you know, and I spoke to some sports psychologists, you know, as well. And I said, I don't really want to be on the, I don't want to take the medication. I want to go the other way. And I remember you have these, you know, lot of, you know, like thoughts are like clouds, you know, one, one cloud comes up after, after, and they have all these clouds and they all go away. 
And then eventually you see blue sky. And that's where I try and get my mind to be. So I try and do yoga, do some running. I like reading. It really helps cl clear my mind. I like writing. I like talking to people. I always say to people, if you don't have five people in your life you can talk to when you need to, then it shows that your relationships need to be stronger in life as well. You know, someone, you know, your social you know, environment needs to be stronger. And, um, and, and, you know, I just, I try and, you know, do any of these kind of activities because that helps with my mind. And I don't want to use it. I don't want to go. I don't want to use medication. I don't want to do that. So I use this approach holistic way and um, it's much better it's for me i found it much better and but for some people they may need to you know i can't speak for everyone because the chemical imbalance may be too much and and um they may need to take the medication which um you know that's for the professionals to advise but my long-term advice will be if you can get away from the medication i think it'll be better for you that is a lot in the news at the moment about racism in cricket. Have you ever experienced any racism in cricket? Well, I, I didn't experience any racism in cricket. And um, people are probably thinking to me, wow, you know, British Asian hasn't experienced it. I think because from a young age, I had a life coach, a mentor, Dave Parsuth, who's at Luton Townsend Cricket Club, he's a director of cricket there. And he remembers saying to me one piece of advice. He said, Monty, what's the equation of life? I said, 50% physical, 50% mental. You know, if I do one hour of gym training, do one hour of mental exercises or mindfulness. You know, he goes, it's 90-10. 90% is in the mind. 10% is physical, or even 95%. So he was like my 90, he was like my 95% coach, if you say. My mental, you know, um, coach, my life coach. And our conversations were all about getting to the top. How do I get to the top? I've taken five wickets. Can you take five wickets in the next match? Can you do it again? How good are you, Monty? You know, as, as a perfect say, wherever your attention is, that's where your energy flows. My attention was to play for England. And that's it. And I had like a team around me, which I think protected me from any of the external stuff you know, that probably other people have experienced. And I just want to get to the top. And then when I got to the top, um, the whole, you know, the whole of England just loved me so much the way I played in cricket. I was, you know, just completely blown away, you know. And that's why I didn't experience anything like that. But then also I've got to, you know, you know, have my eyes open because I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a broadcast journalist as well now. Where you know you need to hear other stories, and when you do hear it, you kind of think, you know, something may needs to be done. You know, ECB needs to do something to help. You know, make the game inclusive, so everyone feels that they they want to play cricket, and they've got the opportunity, you know, to to play at the highest level, become a professional cricketer as well. How do you feel that we should deal with people who are being racist? many years ago, do you think they should be punished or go through some educational program or something else? Yeah, look, I, I do believe that education is the best way forward. You know, punishment is not going to help anything. I think if you educate people, that will be good. You can't just abandon players. 
or ban them. I think, you know, you got to give them the opportunity, a second chance, give them that chance. And um, through education, we'll maybe see some changes, you know, in, in dressing room environments, in cricket in general. But also, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to get, you know, get rid of work, completely get rid of way the, 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 the camaraderie in a dressing room. You know, that is vitally important because that's something that you don't experience in normal day of life. You know, the, the great friendships you have when you win a game of cricket, you all go back in the dressing room, all the fun you have together. It's a great, great feeling. So, um, yeah, some education will really help. And uh, I, I don't think we should, you know, ban players. You were, if you were in charge of the ECB, what would you do to try and stop racism? Well, firstly, I would definitely like to create some educational programme. Um, I also think maybe have a, have a charity, like we've got Kick It Out, Show Racism Red Card, maybe have a cricket anti-racism charity that works alongside with the PCA, a separate organisation. So then that takes the pressure off. You know, the ECB and the PCA, we've got an independent charity for cricket. And then that can do all the sort of education, the work, and, and help, you know, and, and listen to people as well. You know, an independent charity that can actually listen um, to any discrimination that there's that out there to help with, like, education around cricket clubs, around, you know, England, the leagues, and, and also some of the other separate leagues, you know, that we have seen in the British Asian leagues that maybe are not part of the, the Premier Divisions. How can we get them included? You know, so that kind of stuff, I think, would really help um, with the ECB. Um, and we've got a question from one of our listeners, Andrew Claydon, who's wrote in and asked, Monty, as the first Sikh to play for England, do you see yourself as a pioneer? And how does that, how does you representing England impact the future of potential cricketers and all variety of ethnic groups? Yeah, look, I, I for me, it's, it's about me sharing my journey so we can get maybe more you know, British Asians playing the professional game and, and, and some more coming through the system. And the more they learn about my journey, understand, you know, how I got there, possibly they can learn something as well. And my, I think my probably the, one of the greatest advice will be is, you know, do invest in a life coach, in a mentor, because that can really help you to refine your skills, some of the conversations you want to talk about, about, you know, why didn't you perform very well in this game or why not getting picked? What do I need to do? You know, that conversation you can have with the mentor, you know, because the coach has got 11 players to look after. And if you're, you know, less of a burden and you've got some specialist person helping you to be, become, you know, an elite performer, I think that would really help your cricket. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Monty. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure speaking to you guys. Thank you so much. So, boys, Monty's just gone. How did you feel that episode went? Tom, <clears throat> what are your thoughts? Um, well, I was honestly um, proud in um, how he also spoke about 
um, being a Sikh and also his career itself because uh, it's definitely something to be proud of and uh, how much uh, ambition he's got during uh, his career in cricket. So, Well, definitely, yes, I agree. Uh, after, how do you think it went? Um, Renfrew was good. He talked about like racism, like um, he talked about racism and he's talked good actually about racism, stop racism. It's very important though, actually. Yes, so at the moment, racism in cricket is being highlighted and, and being spoke about a lot more. So it was really interesting to hear his thoughts and opinions on racism and what he's been through and talk about what he knows some of his teammates have been through. So I thought it was really, really interesting to listen to. Yeah. Any final thoughts, boys? Um, um, I'm just really glad to have the opportunity to talk to him, really. Yeah, and me. I like you talk about his uh, mental health, actually, very important. Um, I just want to ask you, boys, so obviously as the podcast has gone, you've become a lot more involved and now you host the show completely yourselves. So, Tom, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, how has your journey been with the TWS Sports Podcast? Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, it's been um, it's been nice progress throughout the journey, and uh, I like the chance of like speaking to multiple people and the opportunity of like how to like ask certain questions and how to reply in like uh, different meanings. So definitely, and what what progress have you seen in yourself, Tom, since you started? Uh, I've I've seen to be like like more uh for what I'm saying and I've become a better listener, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Your your questioning technique and your questions you're asking have, have really improved. So well done. You've worked really, really hard on the podcast and continue continue to do so. So well done. After, what about you? What have you enjoyed most about this podcast so far? Um that's a good question, um, Adam. Um I don't know really. I trying very very hard um, I've joined it though because um, the first I started I have to um, good talking and um, I like it I enjoy it my life and so you just enjoy doing the podcast yeah one thing I've noticed as well after is your your question has really improved and some of the questions are scripted and we prepare questions beforehand and your ability your reading ability has really improved um, and understanding the questions has really improved as well. So that's really good progress. I've seen both of you boys, and I'm glad you're still enjoying the podcast. Yeah. We've got lots more to come, lots more amazing guests to interview. So um, keep up the fantastic work, boys. You, you do a great job. And thank you to everyone who's listened to that episode. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, boys, and I'll see you next week. See you see next time. Week. See you next time. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network.